All right, everybody, let's open our Bibles to uh, Psalm 40 as we continue in our summer sermon series titled Centered on the Psalms. And um, if you're here last week, we looked at Psalm 27. And then as we celebrated the Lord's Supper, my friends, the Partains, Nathan and Sarah, uh, sang their own rendition of Psalm 27. It was beautiful, wasn't it? well, today we're looking at Psalm 40, and I think some of you are U2 fans, right? And so, you know, uh, U2 had their own rendition of 40, simply uh, Psalm 40, simply titled 40. And lo and behold, today, Bono is here, everybody. Right back to <laughs> All right, so only two of you turned. I thought there was going to be more. I guess you guys know me too well. I'm the jokester. All right. Bono is not here. I'm sorry. That was bad. Uh, oh, that's, that's one of their songs, too. Dang. All right. Um, <laughs> psalm 40 is an important psalm. It reminds us of the love of God seen in his salvation of us. Psalm 40 is a song. As you remember, the psalms are what? They're the hymnal of God's people. And this song encourages us to sing a new song for every new grace that we experience from the Lord. Let me ask you, does the salvation of the Lord put a song on your lips? Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I will delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverances within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, 
I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this word. We thank you that it is a song, a song to be pressed into our hearts, a song for us to be made new in our lives, uh, a song for us to sing afresh this morning. We are dependent upon your spirit to give life to your words and give life to this preaching. May you come, Holy Spirit, and continue to build this body that you so dearly love, we pray. Amen. A few years back, uh, we, we implemented, I implemented, uh, a new family rule in our household. And the rule is this. You're not allowed to say you love something that cannot love you back. Why would I do this? Well, I was, I was getting tired of how carelessly we throw around the word love. How often have you heard people say, oh, I love that dress. I love that car. I love cheesecake. I love my job. Maybe you don't hear that one too often. But love gets thrown around so carelessly. In the introductory chapter of the book of Romans, Paul reveals the problem that humanity shares. He says, we've all come to love created things instead of our creator. Our tendency is to love things within creation rather than the creator himself. And so in my home, as our kids catch each other saying things like, I love my new shoes. Someone will say, you can't love your shoes because your shoes can't love you back. And then we all laugh. We don't take it too seriously. But the point I'm trying to drive home for my daughters is that love is a very special word. It's a relational word. It speaks of how one's heart is enlarged by the, by the character and the actions of another in Psalm 40, before us this morning, David helps us to sing about God's, God's loving character and actions towards us. Namely, the Lord's salvation. That quality of God that reaches down to earth and picks us up and lifts us up towards heaven. Look at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. David here shows us that love for the Lord's salvation causes us to sing, to be be glad, to to rejoice, to, to tell others. In Psalm 40, David looks in three directions. We're going to look at these. First, he looks backwards, and, and then he looks inwards, and then he looks forwards. And wherever David looks, he sees the saving love of God towards him. May we see it, too. First, looking backwards. In my 51 years of walking on this earth, I have written two songs. The first song was when I was a little boy, about seven or eight, and I told my dad, Dad, I want to I write songs like Elvis. <laughs> and so I took out pen and paper, and I wrote my first song titled, John Mark Todd. 
Yes, it was a song about my brother John and our neighbor across the street, Todd Smith, and how we love playing sports in the street. It wasn't a chart topper. <laughs> my dad said he liked it, but looking back, he was just doing what loving fathers do. Second song I wrote, and the last song I've written, uh, was for my wife, Leslie. Before we were married, I wrote a song about how her love for me had won me over. It wasn't much better than John Mark Dodd. And when I sang it, she laughed a bit until she realized I was serious. <laughs> I sang it again for her this past week. She laughed again. But she did remember all the words. My point is, when we experience the love of another in a new way, it causes us, or at least it should cause us, to, to sing a new song. You know, Maybe not put pen to paper, but, but in our hearts there is a rejoicing that somehow makes its way back up to heaven. In this first section of Psalm 40, David looks backwards at how the Lord had delivered him and, and how it put a new song in his mouth. In verse 1, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, in the original Hebrew, it's far more emphatic. Um, it reads something more like this. Waitingly, I waited for the Lord. This is active, eager waiting. This isn't playing Candy Crush to kill time while your friend arrives. This is sitting by the window, watching and waiting for your dearly loved friend, eagerly anticipating her arrival. My friends, those who belong to the Lord must regularly exercise their faith in the form of actively waiting and trusting that God will provide deliverance. David described his past situation as being imprisoned in a pit of destruction and, and as being uh, stuck in a miry bog, like, like in a four-wheel drive, stuck in the mud up to the axles. Now, it could have been one of the many troubled times in the past when someone sought to kill him, but really this is something different. This is a spiritual peril that he describes. It's about his own sin. How do we know? Well, Psalm 40 belongs with Psalm 39 and Psalm 38. In Psalm 38, David cries, listen, he says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. And then in Psalm 39, David writes, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. David is lamenting what all self-aware Christians lament of, their own ongoing sin. Though we delight in God's mercy and grace towards us, we continue to miss the mark. Remember Paul in Romans chapter 7? If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to read it. It's a great chapter. It's an amazing look at the continued struggle of the Christian life. Paul says, the good things I want to do I do not do them. But the bad things I do not want to do, I do those things. Does that sound familiar? So in Psalm 39, David is saying, I can't believe I did it again. Here I am stuck in a pit and in the mire of my own transgressions. Come, Lord, lift me up again. 
Christian, you know the joys of God's ongoing mercy towards you, don't you? Like Paul and like David, you are astounded that you've done it again. But even more so, you are astounded that God would continue to treat you so lavishly. As we look backwards with David, we're reminded that God doesn't save anyone because they're already good. His ongoing salvation is not based upon how sharply dressed your Christian life appears to be. God's love for his people is beautiful because it hinges not on our faithfulness, but rather upon his steadfast love. God's love for his people isn't rooted in our character, but rather rooted in his character. And he has chosen to love with a perfect love those whose love is imperfect. David is saying, I did it again. Come and restore me. Bring your mercy and grace afresh to me. And that's what he experienced, right? David says, the Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. The Hebrew suggests God bending down to hear. And the Lord lifted David up. Notice he did not lift him up out of the mire only to drop him right next to it so he'd fall right back into it. Our God is far better than that. What does it say? He set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. The result? Absolute joy and delight. David cannot help but sing a new song of praise to God. Each new expression of God's salvation demands its own new song. And did you notice the grammar in verse 3? It's not that David came up with the new song. He didn't sit down and write John Mark Todd. He, no, this was given to him by the Lord. He put, he put a new song in my mouth. God, God put a song in David's mouth, a song of praise to our God. Try to wrap your head around this. God wants you to experience the joy of his salvation. God wants you and me to sing new songs. He wants us to be happy in him. And he wants others to be happy in him. Our God is a happy God. And he makes us happy in Christ. The second part of verse 3, David believes that his testimony will help others to see and trust in the Lord as well. Here's what he says. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, we moderns don't like that word fear, but there's a type of fear that is good. There is a, a certain fear of heights, per se, that, that keeps you safe, does it not? God is majestic and awesome. And so the proper position of the creature before him is one of awe, reverence, a healthy fear. And so David's belief is that that his experience of God's grace as he shares it with others will cause others to cry out and be lifted up as well. In verse 4, David says that there's great blessing for those who trust in the Lord. In verse 5, David says that God has given his people so many blessings that it would be impossible to count them all up and even begin to sing about them. In verse 5, he, he says there's these wondrous deeds. These are all the things that God has done in the past for all of his people. And then he, and then he says, uh, speaks of God's thoughts towards us. These are God's plans for his people for the, for the future. Isn't it true, Christian, your tendency is, is to forget God's deliverances in the past and worry about your future? 
Remember when Jesus miraculously fed 5,000, and then a little while later he fed 4,000, and then right after that the disciples got into a boat, and what did they do? They worried because they didn't have enough food. Jesus had just fed 5,000 and 4,000. They had seen God's wondrous deeds in the past, and yet somehow they were worried about their future. Oh, the abundant patience of our Lord. Oh, that we would have minds to recall all of the blessings that God has given us and, and trust him then with his future plans for his people. As we look backwards at the salvation of the Lord, may we see how, how blessed we are. and May we sing a new song for each new grace. So that's the looking backwards. Now the looking inward. We see this in verses 6 through 11. And what we see is that God's grace causes an inward transformation in David that he cannot help but declare to others. Now verses 6 through 8 could be a bit confusing. In verse 6, David sings, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, is David rejecting the, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system that God gave his people so that their real sins could be atoned for? No, he's not rejecting our need for sacrifice. But he is rejecting the thought that the Old Testament sacrificial system worked automatically. That they can simply go through the motions without a heart attitude that delighted in the grace and the mercy being offered through the sacrifice. David is saying that God has looked into his heart for an attitude that blesses God, and it is there. Look at verse 8. I will delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. When David looks inward, what does he see? He sees God's work in his life. Your law is, is within my heart. How did it get there? Verse 6, you have given me an open ear. God in his sovereign grace gave David an open ear. Now, the original Hebrew reads more like this. You have dug out my ears. David is saying, you have made me by your grace to be one who is ready to listen and obey your will, O oh my God. See, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system wasn't about making people religious. It was there to point people to the mercy of God and to cause one to love the Lord's salvation with one's entire being. But we're not done with verses 6 through 8 yet. Why? Because the Bible isn't done with those verses. When David says in verse 7, Behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. He is making a statement that only the Messiah to come uh, could fulfill. And know this, the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10 quotes this exact part of the passage. Only the writer to the Hebrews quotes it from the Greek translation called the Septuagint. Around 30 B.C., uh, 70 Hebrew scholars translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And um, the Latin word Septuaginta means 70. And so that's where we get the name Septuagint. Now, in translating the Septuagint, 
the Hebrew scholars must have realized that the idiom of having one's ears dug out might not translate very well into the Greek. And so they said instead, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. See, that is the net effect of having God dig out your ears. You become a person whose entire body, whose entire life is prepared for God. Now, the writer to the Hebrews quotes this to show that Jesus alone could fulfill David's words here. Jesus alone lived the perfect, obedient, heartfelt life before the Father. Jesus lived the once, Jesus offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin. His obedience and sacrifice for sin means that our sins are really taken care of. They're forgiven. They're atoned for once and for all. And then now we can have a clear conscience before God. You know, earlier Sally Spanberg read from the end of Luke's gospel. There the resurrected Christ stood before his mystified disciples He shows them his crucified hands and and feet. And and he said, "It, it had to happen this way. I had to die. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Luke continues to writing. He says, then he opened their minds. That is, he he dug out their ears. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You are my witnesses. My friends, the proper and good response to God digging out our ears so that you now see the salvation of the Lord is is to be his witnesses. That is what Jesus says. That's what David does. Because David loves the Lord's salvation, he proclaims the gospel. Look at verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the the great congregation. You know, our English word gospel literally means, uh, from the Greek, good news. David here says, I have told the glad news or good news of deliverance in the congregation. The salvation of the Lord is good news, not just for ourselves, but for others. Only God can take you from a miry bog, which is your sinful life, and set your feet upon a rock. David looks inward at this new life and new heart that God has given him, and he cannot restrain his lips from proclaiming the salvation of the Lord. Verse 9, he says, I have not restrained my lips. Now, look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. What an amazing statement. Ponder the thought after David. If you belong to the Lord, there will never be a day when his mercy runs out for you. 
It's not you who preserves yourself for God. God in his steadfast love and faithfulness preserves you. What a wonderful picture of the Lord's salvation. So David loves the salvation of the Lord as he looks backwards and as he looks inward. Now he looks forward. Now, verses 12 through 17 seem a little bit out of place. It's, it, it's as if while writing Psalm 40, David took a little break after verse 11 and then all hell broke loose in his life. It took a turn for the worse. But you've experienced that too, haven't you? One day you're... Your new heart is delighting in the Lord and seeking to obey him joyfully. And the next temptation comes and you give in. And it causes great hardship. And so I think we can be thankful for David's honesty here. He doesn't give us just suck it up, Christian, be a good Christian, right? He shows us the reality of um, looking forward to God's grace and mercy once again in his life. Look at verse 12 and 13. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, he's talking about sin, not not other hardships, have overtaken me. And I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. Uh, My heart fails me. I don't think David was a bald man. He must have had a lot of hair. Um, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Those of you here who have been given dugout ears and your delight is in the salvation of the Lord, are there not many times when you find yourself once again in a miry pit? Perhaps your anger got the best of you and you lashed out and hurt a friend or a co-worker. And instead of owning your sin, you double down on why it was so necessary to lash out and say those words. And your relationship with your friend and your relationship with God becomes strained. But after a while of blame shifting, the Holy Spirit softens you. God searches your heart. He shows you in his kindness the offenses that you have done. And once again, you've cried out to the only one who can offer aid. See how David does it? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Hurry and help me. Remember on the last night when, when um, before he, last night on earth, before he, before he died, Jesus was, uh, he washed his disciples' feet. Remember that story? And remember how Peter became indignant? I won't have you wash my feet. What did Jesus say? Well, um, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part in my kingdom. And so Peter, like, switches the total opposite direction. He's like, well, then wash all of me then. Remember what Jesus said? You've already been washed clean. I just need to get your feet. That's what's dusty and dirty. In other words, I've already washed you of your sin. You belong to me. You're part of my kingdom. But you will continue to sin, like getting dusty feet on an otherwise clean body. And for that, I am pleased to clean you again. David cries, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, to cleanse me again, to which our Lord says, I'm happy to do it. Some of you need to hear this. Perhaps you've maybe feel like you've fallen way too many times. And so the Lord surely has going to give up on you. Or perhaps you've experienced the Lord's salvation at some time in the past, that day you first believed. 
But like many Christians, and like Peter at one time, you think that it's up to you to keep yourself clean from here on out. For you, the Christian life is, I've been saved by God's grace, but until Jesus comes back, I must live by my own works. If that in some way represents your understanding of the Christian life and the way you're living it, let me make a quick point. I bet you haven't sung a new song in a long time. See, when we feel it's up to us to preserve ourselves, life becomes like a treadmill um, that we're treading upon day in and day out. And no one ever sings while sweating on a treadmill. Now, if this life before God somehow seems familiar, press home what David is saying here. And I also encourage one of my favorite all-time books on our book table, uh, Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. Read that, study that. um, It will help you to see the Lord's salvation, not just for the day you're saved, but for each and every day. David wants his fellow worshipers to get off the treadmill and rest in God's grace. Verse 16, he says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. David wants his fellow worshipers to, who seek the Lord to rejoice and be glad in him. You know what? As your pastor, that is like my great prayer for us. If we could just be those people that David is speaking of that we would just rejoice and find our ultimate gladness in the Lord and in his salvation of us. That we may be those who love the Lord's salvation and say continually, great is the Lord. Now David ends this psalm with some amazing words. He looks forward in great humility, believing that God's salvation is not over for him. Look at what he says. This is amazing. Verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy. See how how he's so willing to to expose the own brokenness in his own heart? As for me, I am poor and needy. If only we could be that honest, right? About the junk in our own lives. But the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. This is the king. Listen, this is the king of Israel standing before the church, admitting his failings. The richest, the richest, most provided for person in the entire kingdom is saying that he is poor and needy. How can this be? Well, it's not because he's speaking of physical poverty and need. He's speaking of spiritual poverty and neediness. Neediness. For the Christian, this never goes away. We are always needy of God's mercy and grace. That's why Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the more you experience the riches of the Lord's salvation, the more you are willing, not less, the more you are willing to admit your spiritual poverty. That's because his grace towards us is so good. It allows us to to lay bare all that's wrong with us, knowing that the Lord will close us 
clothe us with his goodness. See, the more you admit your own spiritual poverty, the more you experience the riches of the Lord's salvation. Tim Keller describes it this way. Listen closely. It's kind of a long quote. And if I lose you, just talk to me later. (laughs) He says, The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believed, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the same time. This creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. But on the other hand, the more you are made aware of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. This is what David is doing. He sees his own sin. He acknowledges his need of cleansing. But he also knows that his relationship with God is purely based on grace. So he's able to even do this before God. David sings, but the Lord takes thought of me. In verse 12, though, David says that his iniquities are more than the hairs of his head. (laughs) On his head. How can David know that the Lord will think of him and deliver him with all of that sin in his life unless David knows the grace of God and treasures it in his heart? My friends, the cross of Christ tells us with great certainty that the Lord takes thought of us. That he sees us with eyes of grace, not just on the day you were saved, but each and every day that you live until the Lord returns. David looks forward in faith to the salvation that is yet to come. And he knows it will come because the Lord is his help and his deliverer. How much more shall we who have seen the cross look forward to the full salvation of the Lord That is yet to come. So David helps us to sing of the Lord's salvation. He helps us to look backwards at all the times where we've been mired in the bog of our own sin and brokenness. And to see how the Lord each and every time lifts us up. And for every instance of new mercy, there is a new song placed upon our lips. David helps us to look inward. To see the work that God is doing in our lives. That God has graciously dug out our ears so that we can delight in him and long to be obedient towards him. And David helps us to look forward. Because the Lord is pleased to deliver, he will. In your poverty and need, the Lord takes thought of you. Even when your iniquities seem to have overtaken you. The Lord is pleased to deliver you, to cleanse you once again. Jesus died to cleanse you, 
and risen, he continues this work on your behalf. So let me ask you, don't you love the Lord's salvation? It is so good. Do you see how it places a new song in your mouth? Let's come to the Lord's table in a moment. And as we do, let's come delighting in the Lord's salvation. And then afterwards, we're going to rejoice in song. We're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Why? Because we are needy every day. We're so thankful that our relationship with you isn't based upon our works, but rather upon Christ who lived and died and has risen for us. May this grace transform us, how we see you, how we see ourselves, and how we see others. And may we be quick to proclaim this to all we encounter, we pray. Amen.